It's time for Ruining Seinfeld, the only show that asks, what's the deal with that? Get ready to pour over the excruciating minutia of every single daily event of four morons sitting around an apartment whining about their dates. Here are your hosts, John and Adam. Hey there, and welcome to Ruining Seinfeld. My name is John. And I'm Adam. Today we'll be talking about the sixth episode of season two, The Chinese Restaurant. It aired May 23rd, 1991. It was written by Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld and directed by Tom Sharonis. I'm seeing a pattern here. Yeah, it seems to be the same three over and over with a little Larry Charles sprinkled in. You know, Matt Goldman, just for good measure. But the number one song on the Billboard chart this week, I Don't Want to Cry by Mariah Carey. I can't believe I thought I knew. Actually, I'm not that big of a Mariah Carey fan, but I just assumed that I would know all of her songs. I I don't know this one, I don't think. I think it was one of her first ones, if I'm not mistaken. It's not a bad jam, you know? I mean, I'm not I don't have anything against Mariah Carey. I mean, her Christmas song, people start to hate that, I guess, but it doesn't bother me, you know? No, I'm the same. (laughs) I've got no, uh, I don't feel one way or the other about Mariah Carey. She's okay in my book. (laughs) The number one movie this week. An underrated gem. What about Bob? I'm sailing. (laughs) It stars Bill Murray, Richard Dreyfuss, and featuring Seinfeld's own Richard Fancy. I forgot Richard Fancy was in that. Yeah, I did too. He played a minister, apparently. I need to do a rewatch on that. I haven't seen that for a long time. Yeah, yeah. I remember it being good. I mean, it's hard nowadays because you can't play with mental illness. You know what I mean? It's like one of those untouchable fields, but I don't know. Bill Murray, he does it right. So hopefully, you know. This is one of those classic movies that I, I, you know, I just said I need to go back and watch. There's so much new media every single day that I feel like you don't get the opportunity to go back and watch quote unquote classics because you're just caught up with whatever's new and released and streaming at the current moment, except for us with Seinfeld, obviously. Yeah, well, that's a given. But when I come I come back to it, I do revisit DVDs because I have a big shelf of DVDs. And I think one of my favorites to pop in is Cabin Boy. And when I return, I will be a cabin man. <laughs> You're one of those fancy lads, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, it's it's a weird one. I saw that in the theaters. Well, back to uh, Richard Fancy, Seinfeld fans are never going to forget his appearances as Mr. Lippman. What was your favorite Mr. Lippman appearance? I mean, this is a layup and I don't want it to be a lazy pick, but it's got to be the best in the series. And Jason Alexander has already said that this is probably his favorite scene from Seinfeld, but it's the the red dot when when Lippman calls George into his office after the rendezvous with the cleaning lady. It's come to my attention that you <laughs> that is a good one. Who who said that? She did. <laughs> it's so good. He plays like it just so straight and he's not giving George any wiggle room. It's a great performance by him. 
My favorite scene with Mr. Lippman, though, is when he's there about to transfer over to Masushimi and he goes up and he's like, I can't shake your hand. Germs. I know that part always <laughs> bugs me so much because I was like, the biggest gripe I have with any show or any movie really is so many of these situations could just be solved by, I don't know, speaking. Exactly. And the funny thing is, is that guy should have said, oh, he has germs or, you know, or like he he's <laughs> oh, he has a cold. Yeah. Does that not translate that he's sick? No. Yeah. Like, <laughs> look, I I have this handkerchief. My nose is visibly red. Hilarious. Well, Adam, you ready to take this boiler out for a shakedown? Giddy up. Well, scene one, we have stand up. I'm on the street the other day, make a pay phone call, go overtime on the call, hang up the phone, walk away. You've had this happen? Yeah. What? Phone rings. It's the phone company. They want more money. Don't you love this? And you've got them right where you want them for the first time in your life. You're on the street. There's nothing they can do. I like to let it ring a few times, you know. Let her sweat a little over there. And then just pick it up. Yeah, hello, operator. Oh, I've got the money. I've got the money right here. You hear that? That's a quarter. Yeah, you want that, don't you? So I, I got to start with, we got to do a wardrobe vibe check, right, with Jerry. So once again, he's rocking the stark white dress shirt, buttoned all the way to the top, no tie. So we've already chronicled this look before. And here's another example of this oversized sport coat that it looks like he bought off the rack and it was not tailored. So he looks looks kind of awkward in this this whole outfit. It almost like the coat almost goes down to mid thigh. It's just so big and baggy. Yeah, it's very shiny. It's a very shiny coat. It's almost like a double breasted coat, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it's just it's all wrong. Yeah. Most of his outfits are all wrong. I like how I uh, all of a sudden uh, am the fashion expert of Seinfeld when I consider myself to have no fashion sense. Well, because you know the colors and I can't tell the colors. So I figured you'd probably be better at like deciphering those kind of things than I would. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm looking at it. It definitely looks like a double breasted coat. Those buttons are wide set. Yeah, this is one outdated stand up for sure. Yeah, it's strictly about pay phones. Yeah, I mean, I get the joke. It's happened to me before. <laughs> yeah, I, I never understood that. And of course, you know, the heyday of using payphones, I was probably in high school when you had a pager or whatever you had to call back. Like you tried every which way to get calls through without having to pay. And so you figured out all the little tricks of the trade, right? And then every once in a while, you'd get the phone ringing back. One of my favorite ways to get a hold of somebody was, hey, buddy, don't hang up. Yeah, exactly. Every, you, you every do the, time. I, you know how many times I called my parents collect and was like, hey, I'm at the movie theaters. Come pick me up. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Do you accept the charges? No. <laughs> of course not. Let him rot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, this is this is good by him answering the phone and, and kind of taunting the, the pay phone lady. Of saying, oh, I've got the money. <laughs> it's like, I've got it right here. 
back then a quarter was like four phone calls. <laughs> Absolutely. Or remember when if you ever had to use a payphone for a long distance call and you had to just keep plunging quarters into the payphone. <laughs> Please deposit another twenty five cents. Yeah. Well, those were the days. There's a whole generation that might be listening to this that they've never, maybe never even encountered a payphone in the wild. I'm sure. Pretty soon people aren't going to even recognize that as a phone. So for all of those of you who've been our loyal listeners so far, and, and thank you, this is a little bit different one to tackle because we don't have multiple scenes. This is kind of the iconic part of the Chinese restaurant that it was all set within one location and it was just one giant long scene, which had never really been done before. And it kind of got met with mixed reviews. I believe they call it a bottle episode, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, like the parking garage was the same same deal. Right. And it, it kind of caused, you know, the network execs to be like, what is this? This is not going to work. To their surprise, however, it became one of the most popular episodes I think they've ever had. Yeah, I agree. If you ever talk to somebody about Seinfeld, they'll be like, oh, the one where the whole episode takes place in the restaurant. Yeah. And it was I mean, there's I mean, we'll get into it, obviously, but there's just so many iconic quotes and scenes and the the whole thing is kind of revolutionary. Definitely. Is that too strong of a word? Revolutionary? No. Nah. <laughs> it's revolutionary for us Seinfeld fans. Hey, you know, it was probably the first instance I ever encountered of it. So there's no inventory update, you lucky bastards. Yeah, I we could talk about the, the scene, but nothing changes. So we're good. Yeah, I mean, we can kind of mention what's in the background of the place, but I don't think there's anything too interesting. But if you've ever been to a Chinese restaurant before, they're pretty much all, I don't want to say the same, not like a Mr. Morgan situation here, but I mean, you know, pretty, pretty universal. Yeah, I thought this was a good set design. It looks, it looks pretty good. I like this design a lot better than the fancy restaurant from the busboy. Oh, of course. Yeah, for sure. It actually looks like a place that you'd want to eat at, you know? Right. But if you watch as they walk into the restaurant, the inside of the restaurant doesn't match the outside facade of the restaurant. No, absolutely not. No, they just have to get more cops on the force. It's as simple as that. Cops? I don't even care about cops. I want to see garbage men. It's much more important. All I want to see are garbage trucks, garbage cans, and garbage men. You're never going to stop crime. We should at least be clean. i tell you what they should do. They should combine the two jobs. Make it one job, cop slash garbage man. <laughs> I always see cops walking around with nothing to do. Grab a broom. Start sweeping. You sweep, 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 sweep. Catch a criminal, get right back to sweeping. You should run for mayor. Ah, nobody listens. <sighs> Where is someone? I'm starving. I think this is him right here. Oh. Uh, is there a table ready? How many? How many? Is Tatiana coming? Well, I, I don't know. I have to call her, tell her where we are. Very lucky she's even considering seeing me at all. Really? I thought things were going okay. They were. It's kind of complicated. Well, what is it? How many? Uh, all right, uh, four. <laughs> Seinfeld. Four. Oh, it'll be five, ten minutes. <laughs> what do you want to do? Let's go someplace else. I am too hungry. We might as well just stay here. We haven't got that much time if we're going to make the movie. Okay. I'm going to call Tatiana. Where's the phone? 
Tatiana. Excuse me, are you going to be very long? Lashbrook, four. So did I do a terrible thing? You mean lying to your uncle? I couldn't have dinner with him. Plan nine from out of space, one night only, the big screen. My hands are tied. You know, it's a public phone. You're not supposed to just chit-chat. Jerry, get menus so when we sit down, we'll be able to order right away. Can't look at a menu now. I gotta be at the table. He knows I'm waiting. He sees me. He just doesn't want to look. Everything's gotta be just so all the time with you, doesn't it? Hey, I offered you those cookies in my house. Health cookies. I hate those little dustboard fructose things. I just can't believe the way people are. What is it with humanity? What kind of a world do we live in? You know what else we notice as they walk into the restaurant? A gentleman dressed in a swanky 70s style clothing. I believe that's Ian. I, Ian. I've decided that anytime I see Norman Brenner in this, he is Ian. I don't care that he's Beater later on. That's Ian. Ian Beater. Always. He he will never be anything but Ian to me. Exactly. I believe when he's on the bus, he's Ian. Once another three musketeers, they're rather small. I believe that's Ian. I'll just hit you with a quick fashion note. Jerry's shirt struck me as very odd. It's a it's a purple color. It kind of looks like a, a polo like knit material. But the weird thing that I couldn't get over as I kept watching, because it's the first time I've really like focused on the the clothes, it has seven buttons. That seven so buttons weird. going right down almost to <laughs> mid-chest. Like a normal polo is three buttons, maybe two. This has seven. Did he have open heart surgery or something like that? And he has to button down to the zipper job? <laughs> yeah, it's just very odd. Could you imagine putting on a polo and you have seven buttons to wrangle? I'd just unbutton the top two and slip my head through. But I would never buy that in the first place, so there's no way. No, there needs to be a conversation around those buttons. Well, they should have just tossed him to the cop slash garbage man that they're talking about when they walk in. Yeah. Never going to fix crime, at least be clean. Grab a broom, sweep, sweep. Catch a criminal, keep on sweeping. <laughs> and I also noticed that Jerry's rocking a new leather jacket. Yeah, this one's a little bit better than the other one. I mean, the color is better anyway. Yeah, the color's better. It does look like worn, so it leads me to think, like, has he always had this leather jacket? So now at one point he had at least three leather jackets in his possession. This guy's rolling in leather jackets. He's rolling in all kinds of stuff that just are packed away in that bedroom that we see. Like, where do you get that? Where do you get that? There's so many things. Yeah, that, that mystical bedroom opened up a few episodes back, and it's like Endora's box. That's the mother on Bewitch. You mean Pandora. She had a bedroom, too. <laughs> well, before they get to the podium, they walk by at least 20 people in this lobby. Now, between the people sitting down on the bench and the people waiting in the back and you know, all that, all of these people have obviously been there before them. So to walk up to the thing, say you want to sit down, these are all the people that are getting the tables first, right? Am I wrong? No, you're right. There's no way that by the look of that crowd and, you know, this is obviously a a nice sit down style restaurant, five, 10 minutes. I think that's being overly aggressive. I mean, I could see turnaround being pretty high on like a two top or maybe a 
three top or something like that, but not like these like eight party tables that are walking in. It looks like. Yeah, they're obviously like groups standing together in the background. Oh, back to the clothing conversation. George is wearing a scarf. Why doesn't it look like anybody else in that place is wearing anything that would seem that it's that cold outside? I know. And he's got like a light, a real light jacket, but then he's got the scarf, but the scarf isn't being used for warmth. This is kind of like an out of work actor or something. (laughs) I don't know what's going on with this whole thing. Yeah, I, I honestly think, though, his his outfit's better than Jerry's in this episode, and that's kind of odd. Yeah, it is strange. And then, you know, I can't prove it, and I didn't go forward to look. I think Elaine's blouse is the same blouse she's wearing in the pick. Oh, I didn't notice. I'm trying to look at it now, but I can't tell the difference, really. Is that the one with the, the nipple? Yeah, it. but we don't ever know what shirt she's wearing for the photo, but the photo, the, the shirt she's wearing before she goes over to Kramer's for the photo session is this, like, frocked collared, like, kind of ivory or cream color with, like, some lace or something interwoven into it, and it looks like the same exact shirt. Okay. Do you hear all those fashion terms? Like, look at me. That's what I'm saying. You belong on 7th Avenue. <laughs> and don't skip on the swank. <laughs> well, they walk up to the podium and they form a semicircle, just plant themselves there and start having a conversation. Why? Why just stand there and start talking? If it's that busy of a restaurant, you're you're going to have somebody coming right up behind you. And how comes we never see anybody coming up and putting their name in? Yeah, it's a good point. Is that just to drive home the fact that they're the only ones that are going to be like dealing with this arduous weight? <laughs> And Jerry does have the right idea, though. Cop slash garbage man is a good idea. I like that idea. (laughs) Yeah, I I think like if any police officer is working the beat and just walking around. Yeah, why don't you spruce up the place while you're at it? (laughs) Instead of mace, they can carry a little can of Febreze with them. (laughs) Some Lysol, a nice rag. Maybe a squeegee. (laughs) Elaine says, where is someone? I'm starving. No one's even looked at the podium yet. So how do they know if no one's standing there? George is like, there he is right there. Bruce walks up and says, how many? And then we find out they're waiting for Tatiana. Oh, one of the many unseen characters that will come across this episode. Jerry assumes that Tatiana will be coming. So he says, it'll be four. Seinfeld. And I like how after George kind of leaves Elaine and Jerry, and Jerry's like, Tatiana. Yeah, like Jerry's that, like, that name. Yeah. Yeah. I've only met one Tatiana in my life, and she was from Haiti. She was pretty cool. <laughs> I don't think I've ever met a Tatiana. But it took so long for George to talk about Tatiana right here. Have you ever worked in a restaurant? Yeah, when I was uh, younger. Yeah, you know that you don't do that to the host when the host is waiting there. You don't just sit there and have a conversation. They're busy people, right? So, yeah, I don't know. But in case you're wondering, because I've come to the conclusion that Bruce never seats them because Tatiana never arrives. That's why they're constantly waiting because they said four, but in the service industry, if you don't, if you don't come with your full party, they're not seating you. Yeah, and ever since you and I talked about this exact thing offline, 
now this puts a whole new spin in my mind of it's a perfectly legitimate reason why they're not getting seated. Yeah, and I actually came across something on Reddit a couple of days ago, just doing a little more research that finally cemented my knowledge base, if you will. It was a, a gentleman who actually spoke Cantonese, and he said that when he's talking to her, he says, no, they said there's four in their party. I'm not seating them until the fourth person gets here. Yeah, that's that's so wild. That's like that's a mind blowing fact. Yeah. And honestly, I'd like to make a call out to any of our listeners or anything out there that can shed some light on anything that is another language that we just cannot understand. You can call in and tell us what Antonio said in the busboy or even what other Antonio said in the calzone. Anything. And we'd be happy to take your call and put it right on the air and get you the notoriety you deserve for being a Seinfeld superfan. Absolutely. Oh, another thing. If they would have just said three, they would have got a booth or a four top. Right. They would have had the fourth seat by default. Yeah, that's that's the old trick, right? If you have a, a four and you're waiting for the fourth, get three. It's the same table. Exactly. Especially like a booth. You're you're sitting on you're sitting in a booth regardless, you know? Yeah, you either have a two top, a four top, or something bigger. So you got to finagle the math to your advantage in that. Well, George walks up to this guy on the phone. You notice says, what he's wearing? The executive. Another executive spotting. It's a different color. It's not like the khaki, but it's still a beltless trench coat. So I'll allow it. Yeah, absolutely. And. We're going to have to go back and have an executive count. That would be cool, I think. Yeah. We probably do it in our heads right now. Nah, I'm not going to (laughs) bother. So George asked the guy on the phone, are you going to be long? Now, this guy was on the phone when they walked into the restaurant. Then he got off the phone. And before George walked back over to the phone, he got back over to it. But it was a total dick move by him just to turn around and not even say anything. This guy's a complete jag. I just, to not even acknowledge George or put his hand over the receiver and just say, hey, it's just going to be a minute or just kind of a whisper or even mouth the words. I'm sorry, I'll be just a couple seconds. I mean, it's obvious he's in a restaurant when he's on the phone. You can hear the clatter of everything in the background, I would assume, you know. Yeah. But the guy on the phone will come back in the puffy shirt as the photographer. Oh, yeah, you're right. But even though this is years before that episode, I like to think it's the same guy. Wouldn't that be something? You know, the the good thing is, is that George wasn't a jerk to him at the end of this thing. So he probably remembers George as being, oh, he was OK if he does remember him at all. Do you think somebody remembers George? Is he a memorable person? <laughs> How could you forget him? If you came <laughs> across him, if he was being his normal George self and you came across him, you could not forget that guy. Yeah, that's probably a good point. Plus, he'd be like, hey, this guy was hounding me one time in a Chinese restaurant for a payphone. Yeah, like Jerry, I can see forgetting him. You know what I mean? No offense, <laughs> but like he's pretty average, Joe. Like Kramer, you're not forgetting that. Elaine, you're not forgetting her. You know, Jerry, eh, sorry, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Ruining Seinfeld host claims Jerry Seinfeld is forgettable. <laughs> Elaine says she wants to get a menu so she can read it and figure out what she wants to eat. But Jerry says he has to sit down at the table to read a menu. Is that weird? Okay, so are you team Elaine or team Jerry? I'm team Elaine on this. Give me the menu before so I can see what they have to offer. 
I'm so glad you went team Elaine because I am team Jerry. Oh, good. See, I like that we have like little conflictions because we both don't like cantaloupe. So we can't be on the same page all the time. (laughs) Yeah, I like so if we're trying to choose a restaurant for a special occasion or like trying to figure out where we're going to go, I'll browse the menu online just real quick, just a real overview to see, okay, what kind of offerings, you know, sandwiches, salads, steaks, I'll get a good idea of the menu, but I'm not drilling down into that till I'm sitting at the table. I want to go in fresh, just like Frank Costanza. I want to be surprised. I want to know what I'm in the mood for right when I'm sitting in that table, perhaps with my, my drink or my cocktail and really what, whatever mood I find myself in at that very moment. Well, I can see that if you're looking at the menu online, but say if you're in the restaurant and you smell all the smells and you've got like already and and you're going to be late for something on top of it, wouldn't you want to be a little more prepared? That's fair. I, I have been in that situation where we're trying to catch a movie like this episode or, you know, you got to be somewhere on time and then it's usually somebody in our party pushes me to to really lock in on something so we're ready to order but other than that i like to go in fresh (laughs) (laughs) jerry says you know i offered you some cookies at my house yeah and what does she call them those those health cookies yeah dust board fructose things (laughs) we've seen on multiple occasions jerry has plenty of junk food pepperidge farm cookies chips oreos that's just a few that i can come up with now yeah, I think as the seasons go on, we see Snackwells makes an appearance a lot in Seinfeld. And that was the big like health or quote unquote health food brand in the 90s. But Elaine and Jerry start talking about, you know, the food and all that. And George walks up and starts complaining about the guy on the phone. Jerry and Elaine look at him, look back at each other, look at him again. George just gets the hint and walks away back over to the phone. Yeah, I like, you know, George keeps this, starts with this theme of, you know, we're living in a society, what kind of world are we living in, blah, blah, blah. Like, I always found this a weird kind of vibe for George, because if anybody is unaware of his surroundings at certain points or not very empathetic, you know, we've already highlighted him like being online places, yelling at folks snapping at people, not being courteous to his servers. And now this is a weird hill for George to die on all of a sudden. He really has to make that call. (laughs) He's got to get a hold of Tatiana. Jerry notices the woman we come to know as Lorraine Catalano. He swears he knows her from somewhere. What? There's a woman over there looks really familiar. Dark hair, striped shirt. I've never seen her before. I know this woman. This is going to drive me crazy. Excuse me. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Did you see that? Those people, look, they're getting a table. Well, maybe they were here from before. No, 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 they weren't here before. Excuse me, are you going to be much longer? I have to make a very important call. What's going on? Excuse me. Didn't those people just come in? I I believe we were ahead of them. Yeah. What's your name? Seinfeld? 
佢話佢有四個人，話佢話佢嚟先。我哋唔好講俾佢聽嚇。No, no, they were here before. Catch two. How how happy people are when they finally get a table. They feel so special because they've been chosen. It's enough to make you sick. Boy, you are really hungry. Hey. Anything happens here? Can I count on you? If we decide to go at it. Yeah, I want to get into a rumble. I have to get in touch with Tatiana. Look at his little outfit. It's also coordinated. The little socks match the little shirt. I really hate this guy. I'm gonna faint. George, who is that woman in the stripes? I don't know her. She looks so familiar. I would assume that he knows her from the circus. That shirt is wild. <laughs> With that big bow. <laughs> Just want to squeeze her nose. <laughs> it. I got a real like New Orleans parade vibe. Like she's a, it's a Mardi Gras shirt. The Grand Marshal of that. <laughs> yeah. Either her or Miss Conchita Alonza. No, wait. Stace Keach. <laughs> A group of people walk by Elaine and Jerry, and one of them bumps into Elaine. That wouldn't have happened if they weren't just standing right in the middle of the lobby. Yeah, they are smack dab in the middle of the way. I'll never understand why people feel the need to stand constantly in the way. Unless you're conducting business, move to the side. You're holding up the means of production. I'm always to the side of places. And I'm not I'm not what you would call a wallflower by any means. I just... I get out of the way. You understand the sense of urgency, especially in a situation like a restaurant where people are going to be maneuvering around you constantly. Yeah. I don't know. Just call you Mr. Courteous. Yeah, right? Just want to be out of the way. George is up behind that guy again. We get the second dick move from the guy on the phone, and George is seething at this point. (laughs) Yeah, he just refuses to acknowledge George. The old back turn. What a power move. Bruce will call out the next people to be sat. Jerry and Elaine are confused. They walk up and ask why those people got sat. That they were before them. That's when the woman walks up and starts speaking to Bruce and says, probably, probably like, we have a table. Let's seat them. And he's probably telling them, no, no, no. There are four, four people. When the fourth person shows up, you watch his mannerisms. It looks exactly like what he's saying to her. I I have no reason to not believe that. And I hope that that is 100% legit from the Reddit post. Because like I said, that changes my whole perspective on the entire episode. Well, George is really upset at this point, And he whistles at the guy on the phone who just gives the third dick move and smiles at him when he turns around. It was a good whistle. Yeah, I can't whistle like that. But I noticed that George is holding his little black book in his hand. I'm trying to think back. Did you carry around a little black book when you were... In the 90s, I had a little green type book that my mom gave me with our phone numbers and like relatives phone numbers. And I had my friends phone numbers in it, but I wasn't cool enough to have girls phone numbers or anything. No, I I definitely didn't have a little black book. And that's something that you saw on TV shows, right? Uh, uh, Around this era, it was always the 
the real ladies man always had a, a little black book, but I didn't have one. I think I had a card that I kept in my wallet that had like important phone numbers on it, but that was about it. George calls Jerry over. If anything happens here, can I count on you? We decide to get into it. Yeah, like I want to get in a rumble. To be completely honest with you, in a normal situation, your friend would automatically have your back. But if this is George Costanza we're talking about, you know he's the one that's going to be causing the problem. Yeah, in this situation, I, I wouldn't find myself asking my buddy if he can, you know, help me out or if he's has my back it would be like hey something might be going down here just be prepared <laughs> i'm so lucky i haven't been in that situation for a really long time <laughs> it's great <laughs> but jerry asked george 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 who's that woman in the stripes george sort of said i don't know the hamburglar <laughs> rebel rebel <laughs> that lady I can't get over how silly she looks, man. Yeah, it's just, it's an absurd top. You don't like, now that we keep thinking about it, like, she almost looks like, I don't want to say a court gesture, but it was one of those, like, <laughs> Renaissance people. They maybe had, like, a long trumpet, like the big frilly collars, you know, that George yeah. or that Jerry talks about in The Butler. <laughs> For sure. Like, yeah, that outfit's out of control. I mean, she comes out later in, in a little jacket over top of it but that bow is still <laughs> prominent no, it's not fair that people are seated first come first served it should be based on who's hungriest <laughs> i feel like just walking over there and taking some food off of somebody's plate i'll tell you what there's 50 bucks in it for you if you do it <laughs> You walk over to that table, you pick up an egg roll, you don't say anything, you eat it, say thank you very much, wipe your mouth, walk away, I give you 50 bucks. What are they gonna do? They won't do anything. In fact, you'll be giving them a story to tell for the rest of their lives. 50 bucks, you'll give me 50 bucks. 50 bucks. That table over there, the three couples. Okay, I, I, I don't want to go over there and do it and then come back here and find out there was some little loophole like an input mustard on it. No, no tricks. Should I do it, George? For 50 bucks? I'll put my face in this soup and blow. <laughs> all right, all right. Here, hold this. I'm doing it. I know this sounds crazy, but the two men who are standing behind me are going to give me 50 bucks if I stand here and eat one of your egg rolls. I'll give you 25 if you let me do it. What? What is she talking about? What did she say? What did she say? Tell me what she said. What did she say? Did you see that? What were you telling them? I offered them 25. They had no idea. And Elaine says, seating should be based on who's hungriest. And how would that exactly work? I'm hungrier than you. No, you're not. Prove it. Give me your arm. 
He took a bite out of me. I guess he's hungrier than me. Cannibalism would be the only way to tell if someone was hungrier than the other person. Yeah, that that's the ultimate hungry, right? I It'd be kind of funny to think about every restaurant has their own gauge when you walk in. You know, this is Applebee's test of how hungry you are. It's, it's, it's some sort of, of mini challenge. Wave a chicken wing under your nose if you start drooling instantly. <laughs> this guy's really hungry. Let's get him in there. Stat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Elaine says she's so hungry, she just wants to walk in there and get some food right off of somebody's plate. And I love this move from Jerry of offering a 50 spot to Elaine if she would do it. But seriously, though, if you were to do it, how long do you think it would take you to eat the entire egg roll? And conservatively speaking, depending on temperature, at least a minute or two. I mean, I, I have to say, you got to chew it. You know, those things aren't just, you know, if it's hot inside, you're going <laughs> while you're eating it, you know. I would like to think that if one of my buddies offered me 50 bucks to go take somebody's food and just eat it in front of them, that I would have the guts to do it. But I got to think in that moment, I freeze just like Elaine did. Yeah, I don't think I would, because you never know. Those old people, maybe. That's a different story. They're not going to, like, jump up and beat you. Unless it's yeah, McMain and he has the cane. Eat hickory! <laughs> you're you're totally right. It it all depends on the, the table dynamics. Those three couples right over there, and they're all wearing, like, tap-out shirts. And <laughs> they have spiky. Yeah, exactly. Spiky and hardy jeans. <laughs> Chains on their wallets and things. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Jerry wants her to stay in there, eat the egg roll, and then say, thank you very much, wipe their face, and walk away. I think I'd rather put my face in the soup and blow. Be way quicker. You'd be out of there so much sooner. Where did George even come up with that? Like, saying, I'd rather, <laughs> for 50 bucks, I'd stick my face in the soup and blow. Have you seen anybody blow into a bowl of soup? Uh, outside of a Russ Meyer film. <laughs> Well, Elaine goes into the dining room to attempt the egg roll mission. I like how she just hands Jerry her purse and hikes up her pants. She's like, I'm doing it. Yep, exactly. I The, the pants hike is a, <laughs> it's not a very common move, but it's great. It's she like, means business. It's like Timmy in the double dip. Yeah. <laughs> is that right? <laughs> and she walks up to the table. Do you think she's actually talking through her teeth there or is the dialogue added in post? No, the, absolutely. It's dubbed over. I think if she was, though, that's pretty great. I can't do that. I mean, she would have a second career as a ventriloquist because those teeth are clenched. Her mouth is completely wide open and the voice is clear as day. What did she say? What did she say? <laughs> and that's the best part because obviously that those voices are overdubbed, too. And it's Larry doing like all of the voices. And the funny thing is, is like none of them correspond to any of the men at the table at all. No. What did she say? What 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 is that? What did she what say? What about those? <laughs> Jerry says, "Hey George, the phone's free." And George says, "Hallelujah." But he only believes in God for the bad things. Good point. George, the phone's free. Hallelujah. Uh. <laughs> hey, excuse me, I, I was waiting here. Where? I didn't see you. I've been standing here for the last ten minutes. I won't be long. Um, that's not the point. The point is, I was here first. Well, if you were here first, you'd be holding the phone. (laughs) 
You know, we're living in a society. We're supposed to act in a civilized way. Does she care? No. Does anyone ever display the slightest sensitivity over the problems of a fellow individual? No. No. A resounding no. Hey, sorry I took so long. Oh, that's okay, really. Don't worry. <laughs> Crazy? I'm, I'm gonna go walk around and see what dishes look good. I told my uncle I had a stomachache tonight. You think he bought that? Yeah, he probably bought it. So what happened with Tatiana? I shouldn't even tell you. Come on. Well, after dinner last week, she invites me back to her apartment. Yeah, I'm with you. Well, it's this little place with this little bathroom. And it's like right there, you know? It's, it's not even... Down a little hall or off in an alcove. You understand? There's no buffer zone. <laughs> so we start to fool around, and it's the first time, and it's, it's early in the going. And I begin to perceive this impending intestinal requirement <laughs> whose needs are going to surpass by great lengths anything in the sexual realm. So I know I'm gonna have to stop. And as this is happening, I'm thinking, even if I can somehow manage to momentarily extricate myself from the proceedings and relieve this unstoppable force, I know that that bathroom is not gonna provide me with the privacy that I know I'm going to need. This could only happen to you. So, uh... I finally stop and say, um, Tatiana, I hope you don't take this the wrong way, but I think it would be best if I left. You said this to her after? No. <laughs> During. Oh, boy. Yeah. Wow. So? So I'm dressing, and she's staring up at me, struggling to compute this unprecedented turn of events. I don't know what to say to reassure this woman, and worst of all, I don't have the time to say it. The only excuse she might possibly have accepted is if I told her I am, in reality, Batman. And I'm very sorry, I just saw the bat signal. It took me three days of phone calls to get her to agree to see me again. Now she's waiting for me to call, and she's still on the phone. He walks over to grab it, but a woman gets over there and grabs it before him. As much as I want to cheer for George, I got to side with the lady on this. He says, I was standing right here. No, you weren't, George. You were way across the lobby. And not only that, she had her arm out before he did. When yeah. It came to reaching for the receiver. And that's why she makes a great point with, if you were here first, you'd have the phone. She reminds me of Sigourney Weaver a little bit. She does have a Sigourney Weaver vibe to her. George puts his hands on the receiver. To stop her from making the call. Yeah, I might put the receiver right down on his fingers. Something like that. Look, I'm I'm a pacifist, man. I don't I don't want to fight anybody, but this aggression will not stand, man. I was just gonna say, you're like Donnie. And I try to be as chill with everybody as I possibly can, but blatant aggression. No, well thanks, man. I'm against that. <laughs> I once too dabbled in pacifism. <laughs> not Nam, of course. <laughs> 
my buddies didn't die face down in the muck, so you couldn't make your phone call in a Chinese <laughs> restaurant. <laughs> when the woman finally makes her call, it sounds like she's dialing some numbers. But after she puts her coin in, her hand is nowhere near the dial pad. And then it sounds like she punches four buttons. And then when it cuts away, it sounds like she punches six more buttons. Now, is she making a long distance call or did you have to dial area codes in New York back then? I, I have no answer for you. Hey, man, there's no scene changes. So we're picking all the nits that we can out of this thing. Yeah, and this is where you're style of watching this really comes into play how you listen to a lot of episodes because that's something that i i probably wouldn't have picked up with all the background noise yeah because when i listened to it first i was like that sounds weird and then i watched it i'm like wait a minute that's she didn't even put the coin in yet like do you have to dial certain numbers before you put the coin in what is this are they calling england i don't understand yeah maybe she's making an international call hold on a second honey i have to go call england (laughs) george walks away irate and says one of his most famous lines in the show. You know, we're living in a society. The woman and plugs her ear so she can't hear. That's a nice attention to detail she did, though. Yeah, I agree. And and this goes back to my earlier point of I, I'm going to go on a limb and just say George is kind of a hypocrite in this. Yeah, no, he's a hypocrite in a lot of situations. That's true. But then he gives the the payphone guy, the original payphone guy, a pass as he walks by. Hey, sorry about that earlier. And so they start fondling each other almost. It's really weird. Yeah. It's like touch it. He's like, oh, don't worry about it, you spineless worm. I was just <laughs> gonna say, I was gonna use spineless too. Like that is total Costanza right there. No, that's okay. Like, shut up. <laughs> you hating that guy five minutes ago. I would have turned my back on him like he did to me. Yeah, been like. Smile on him and be like, oh, yeah, hey. <laughs> maybe, maybe give him the thumbs down. <laughs> Hold your nose and roll by. <laughs> well, Lynn says she's going to go take a walk around and see what dishes look good. How is she going to know what dish is what dish? She's going to tell the server, I really like the way the rice with the shiny red meat looked. And also the noodles and the brown stuff. I think there were shrimp there. Mushrooms, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> George explains to Jerry the Tatiana situation. His hair island, as you like to call it, it needs to be sunk into the sea. Yeah, yeah it's it's it. really pronounced in this. <laughs> Just, yeah, I'm so the, glad you referenced hair island. And the thing with it is, is in those first couple episodes, it was darker and it was there was more hair, obviously, you know, and that's not his fault that he's losing his hair. But get rid of it. Like, I'm looking at it right now. Get rid of it. There's no need to have it there. And also, while you're at it, just shave it down to, like, you know, a two or a three, (laughs) as the barbers like to say, you know? Yeah, he's just got a few wisps. If you really look at his hair, it's like, almost looks like it has one of those things that the ladies put up in their hair to make it, like, sit up in the back. Like Like a bump it? Yeah. (laughs) That's what it was called. Like the original Karen haircut. Yeah, it looks like one of those up in the back. But like you look at the front of it, it's like bumped up. It's really weird. Maybe he was curling it with the when he was blow drying it, looking at that picture of Dennis Franz. (laughs) George mentions there's no buffer zone. And then Jerry's face is like, uh, like he knows what George is talking about. Yeah, I I got a couple. (laughs) We could probably spend a whole episode just on this story. But 
it's a really funny premise. I know it's tough because presumably it's their first date. And, you know, he's talking about this intestinal issue that's coming up and that the bathroom doesn't give him the necessary privacy that he definitely is going to need. But then we find out that they're already almost in the throes of passion that he's he states earlier. So I'm getting dressed. So that would mean that he was undressed at some point. Don't you have to just be honest at that point and say, I don't feel very well. Like, I feel like you don't have to get graphic or descriptive, but just say, I think I'm going to get sick or like something is not right. I feel like I'm going to pass out or something along the lines instead of just saying, I think it's better if I leave. I I 100% agree with you because I have here that he says that they were early in the going about to fool around. OK, now fooling around is not having sex. Fooling around is kissing, you know. <laughs> Jerry says, you told her this after. And he says, no, during. So were we believing they're having sex? Not to be so graphic, but. That's what that... I. Yeah, because he says, I'm getting dressed. So because it, you're right. At the beginning of the conversation, I was like, oh, they're just kind of sitting on the couch fooling around or whatever they're doing. But then to find out that George is. You know, undressed. Like, how did so obviously he tried to power through at some point and then he just had to pull the ejection lever. Yeah, I I think I think that, yeah, he just needed to be honest with her. Yeah. And even if she lived in a spacious place with a bathroom that is, you know, far away and has an exhaust fan or the privacy that George is requiring how are you even going to maneuver that either? Like, you're like, okay, hold on just a second. I know we're in mid session. I just need to excuse myself real quick. And then he's gone for five, 10 minutes. I'm going to go coat the bowl. I'll be right back. (laughs) And then he's going to just come back. Like nothing happened. Like the jig is up, dude. The entire house smells at that point. And there's no, (laughs) there's no spray like back Back in those days, they didn't just have like Febreze hanging out. You know, it was like, what are you going to spray? Like Lysol? Yeah, you had some you had some lilac scented Glade. You know what they had is that little thing that you turn and you put on the back of the toilet. It It doesn't matter what you're going to the bathroom for. It doesn't matter if, you know, it's not an impending doom situation. But I hate bathrooms that don't have exhaust fans or are just starkly quiet. Like it's very off putting unnerving. Like I don't need anybody to hear what's going on in that bathroom. Even if I'm not doing anything to raise eyebrows, it's just, it's very odd. Like every bathroom should have an exhaust fan. (laughs) I'm just trying to say like, keep it from being too graphic of I'm not going to coat the bowl. As you said, (laughs) Yeah, even if I'm just going in to splash some water in my face or just, you know, get my wits about me, I, it just it's too quiet. So not only did George have to call this woman for three days to agree to get her to see him again, he actually got her to agree to see him again after three days of bugging her. I don't believe it. Which is crazy because, you know, not to get too superficial and something we've talked about, if you're Tatiana... And George Costanza, in all of his glory, 
pulled that move, wasn't honest with her, just flat out said he's got to get out of there. Would you give him a second chance? I would never give the dude a first chance, but well, that's, yes. that's neither here nor there. <laughs> no. no, no second chance at all. Sorry, George. He stinks of desperation. Yeah, like, the, the lack of confidence there is is overwhelming. I'm always amazed that any woman will go out with him at all, especially the caliber of women that he gets. No offense to the woman who plays the carrot, but she seems to be the only one that's in his league. <laughs> I mean, if you remember the pony remark, he says he couldn't envision a situation where he'd ever be able to have sex again. And I, I think agree. that's more on brand. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Elaine walks up to Jerry and George. Says, I hate this place. I'm never coming back here. And I think she's right, because the only other time that they're at Hunan on fifth is with Mr. Peterman. And she skips that to go out with Fred because he didn't remember. It'll just be the three bulls. Fong has been most accommodating. (laughs) (laughs) I hate this place. I don't know why we came here. I'm never coming back here again. Who is that woman? Remember when you first went out to eat with your parents? Remember? It was such a treat to go and they serve you this different food that you never saw before and they put it in front of you and it was such a delicious and exciting adventure. (laughs) And now I just feel like a big sweaty hog waiting for them to (laughs) fill up the trough. She's off. Jerry, talk to that guy again. What am I going to say? Tell him we want to catch a movie and that we're late. Hey, what stinks in here? (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Cohen, I haven't seen you for a couple of weeks. I've been looking for a better place. (laughs) Better place? Want a a table? No. Just bring me a plate and I'll eat here. (laughs) (laughs) Bring him a plate and you eat here. (laughs) Come on, I'll get you a table. Excuse me. We've been waiting here. Now, I know we were ahead of that guy. He just came in. Oh, no, Mr. Cohen, always here. He's always here? What does that mean? What does that mean? Oh, Mr. Cohen, very nice man. He live on Park Avenue. Where am I? Is this a dream? God's name is going on here. She's not there. She left. She must have waited and left because those people wouldn't get off the phone. Did you leave a message? Yeah, I told her to call me here and to tell anyone that answers the phone to ask for a balding, stocky man with glasses. I better tell them I'm expecting a call. Oh, Jerry, here comes that woman. Where do I know her? Hi, Jerry. Hey. How are you doing? How is everything? Good, good, good. <laughs> What's going on? I'm working hard. And you? Oh, you know, working around. Same stuff. <laughs> doing whatever. We haven't been around in a while. I know. I know. Well, you know. <laughs> Come by. Definitely. 
I plan to. I'm not just saying that. Hi, I'm Elaine. Oh, Lorraine Catalano. I'm sorry. <laughs> Lorraine, this is Elaine. <laughs> well, it was nice seeing you, Jerry. Yeah, nice meeting you. Oh, nice to meet you too, Lorraine. Oh my God, Lorraine. That's Lorraine from my uncle's office. I am in big, big trouble. <gasps> the one you broke the plans with tonight? Yeah, she works in his office. Now she's gonna see him tomorrow and tell him she saw me here tonight. He's gonna tell his wife, his wife's gonna call my mother. <laughs> oh, this is bad, you don't know. The chain reaction of calls, this is gonna set off. New York, Long Island, Florida, it's like the Bermuda Triangle. <laughs> Unfortunately, nobody ever disappears. My uncle to my aunt, my aunt to my mother, my mother to my uncle. And my uncle to my cousin, my cousin to my sister, my sister to me. You should have just had dinner with your uncle tonight and gotten it over with. It's just a movie. Just a movie? You don't understand. This isn't plans one through eight from outer space. This is plan nine. This is the one that worked. The worst movie ever made. <laughs> I like this line, Elaine, talking about how it used to be a, a fun experience when you'd go out to eat with your parents and it was all this new food. And and now she just feels like a big sweaty hog waiting for them to fill up the trough. <laughs> George finally gets his phone. And then all of a sudden, hey, what stinks in here? You know how many times I've quoted that? I love the Mr. Cohen character so much. But he's dressed just like Morty. <laughs> yeah, that's that sport coat is something else. Bruce says he hasn't been there for a while, and he says he's looking, been looking for a better place. I love that one. And it's so good. And, you know, Jerry and... Elaine are totally confused by this whole interaction, how he gets seated right away. And when they call, call him out on it, he's like, oh, Mr. Cohen's always here. He's like, always here. What does that mean? Well, Bruce does get him a table and he walks barely two feet in the room and he's already back at the podium. Bruce is quick. And I like that, you know, George obviously didn't get Tatiana on the phone. He left a message to tell her to ask for a balding, stocky man with the glasses. Like, dude, you just got her to like give you a second chance, and now you're sowing seeds of doubt back into her brain. And she knows what he looks like. Right. How about <laughs> just the name? At this point, Bruce could have just told them, look, here's the deal. That's just one guy by himself. Of course I can give him a table for one or two, you know? You lied to me about four people, but I think he's just messing with him at this point. Oh, totally. Yeah, he's got all the control, and it's a power move. And they start talking about the movie and how it's the worst movie ever made. And I got news for you. I have Plan 9 on VHS. It's not the worst movie ever made. I was just going to ask you if you've actually seen it. Oh, I've seen it multiple times, and I've seen Ed Wood, the movie that Tim Burton made about the making of Plan 9. I think Plan 9 is actually pretty good for how it's made. Like, I mean, the the acting is whatever, but I mean, honestly, the for what they had going on back then, I think he did okay. Elaine says, 
Jerry, here comes that woman. Where do I know her from? Lorraine walks up and he's like, oh, yeah. (laughs) Have you ever had to do that with people? All the time. And I have so many like people that you would call acquaintances. I'm terrible with names. Admittedly terrible. Could have talked to these people 15 times and I still don't know their name. And it's it's not their fault. It's just my brain doesn't work with names for some reason. Congratulations. You're not important enough to remember. Well, you didn't have to say it like that. <laughs> no, I just tell everybody I have facial blindness. Oh, that's good. No, it's, it's, it works until they hear this podcast and be like, dude, he knows every bit character. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lorraine says she misses him coming around. And Jerry's like, I know, I know. I find out that he she works with his uncle. Now, which uncle are we talking about? I don't see Uncle Leo in any kind of profession that requires an office. Yeah, I don't know what he'd be doing. It's hard to think about the job that Leo had before we meet him. Yeah, I got to think it's another uncle. Well, if you listen to what Jerry says, he says, it'll go from my uncle to my aunt, my aunt to my mother, my mother to my cousin, my cousin to my sister. So we hear all these unseen characters, his aunt, his uncle, his sister. Yeah, the sister. Hmm. Do we ever hear about his sister in any other episodes, or is this the only one? This is the only one. That's what but I thought. I'd like, I'd like to think that it's canon, because why would he mention it to Elaine? Because Elaine would obviously know that right. there's no sister. Yeah, no, I think it's legit. So, interesting turn of events. But yeah, I, when you think about it, it has to be Helen's side of the family. So I, I, I would think so, and... I like when he's going through all the the relatives he's going to hear from. And he's like, you know, from New York to Long Island to Florida. He's like the Bermuda Triangle. But then he hits with the unfortunately no one ever disappears. (laughs) I feel like when we were kids, you heard more about the Bermuda Triangle. Am I wrong? Yeah, it's that damn alien autopsy. That's what's getting all the headlines now. (laughs) But I feel like there was always unsolved mysteries and at least like. Once every season, there was something about the Bermuda Triangle. I feel like we were really into the the heyday of Bermuda Triangle conspiracies. Well, well, there weren't very many satellite imagery websites that you could just zoom down and see that there's nothing there but water. Right. No, you're right, and you couldn't you couldn't look on Wikipedia or anything to disprove anything. Well, at this point, they're so desperate to sit down. I just say. Our fourth person isn't showing up. Sorry about that. It'll just be three. They talk about bribing Bruce. Hey, I got news for you. If we're making this movie, we got to get a table immediately. All right, look it. Let's stop fooling around. Let's just slip him some money. In a Chinese restaurant, do they take money? (laughs) Do they take money? Everyone takes money. I used to go out with a guy who did it all the time. You just slip him 20 bucks. 20 bucks? (laughs) Isn't that excessive? Well, what do you want to give him, change? It's more than the meal. Oh, come on. We'll divide it up three ways. All right. Seven, seven, six. I'm not going to eat that much. I'm counting your shrimps. Okay, who's going to do it? Oh, no, I I can't do it. I'm not good at these things. I get flustered. Once I tried to to bribe an usher at the roller derby, I almost got arrested. I guess it's you, Jer. Me? What about you? Oh, I can't do that. It's a guy thing. 
The women's movement just can't seem to make any progress in the world of bribery, can they? Give me the money. How's it going? Daddy busy. Boy, we are really anxious to sit down. Very good specials tonight. If there's uh, anything you can do to get us a table, we'd really appreciate it. Oh, what is your name? No, no, I, I want to eat now. Yes, go see past dinner tonight. Very fresh. Here, take this. I'm starving. Take it. Take it. Uh, Denison, four. Your table is ready. No, no, no. I, I want that table. I want, I want that table. Oh, come on. Did you see that? What was that? He took the money. He didn't give us a table. You lost the 20. Well, how could he do that? He didn't make it clear. Make it clear? What a sorry exhibition that was. <laughs> All right, let me get the money back. <laughs> Excuse me. I realize this is extremely embarrassing. My friend here apparently made a mistake. Your name? S Seinfeld? Yes, Seinfeld 4. No, no, no. Do you see the girl over there with the long hair? Oh, yes, yes. Very beautiful girl. Very beautiful. Your girlfriend? Well, actually, we did date for a while, but that's really not relevant here. Our relationships are difficult. It is very hard to stay together. Uh, all right, listen. All right. How much longer is it going to be? About five, ten minutes. <laughs> So, there seems to be a, a bit of a discrepancy. So when are we going to eat? Five, ten minutes. <laughs> we should have left earlier. I told you. We get an unseen character. Elaine talks about this guy who used to bribe the maitre d' at restaurants to get them tables. Now, have you ever done that? No. I don't go I places that I need to, I don't think. They always just give you this little buzzer thing and <laughs> sit you down. Even at the nicest places I've ever been, I don't think I would ever slip somebody cash. Usually when you go to a nice enough restaurant, like you have a reservation to begin with. And of course, you know, George is all up in arms that they want to offer the guy 20 bucks and cheapskate George rears his head saying it's going to be more than the meal. And then when Jerry offers to split it three ways, George, of course, wants Elaine and Jerry to pitch in seven and he'll cover six. George says, I'm not going to eat that much. I'm counting your shrimps. Now, how does them paying a certain amount of money justify the amount of shrimp that George gets to eat? I mean, <laughs> that's a, that's a Larry idiosyncrasy. There is an episode of Curb I know that he is yeah. about not getting the right amount of shrimp. Yeah, exactly. He's been hung up on it, obviously, for a few decades. Yeah, see, I, I always wanted to point out in every single episode where... There's a uh, curb crossover 
So I might leave that to you because you know a lot more about curb than I do. But if anything ever is a simultaneous event, you should be like in curb, you know, and just come through with what you know about it, you know, because we'll do. <laughs> yeah. But you know, the extra in the background when Alea is trying to bribe the Mater D is looking right at the camera until she noticed the camera's looking right at her. <laughs> Elaine walks up to Bruce and starts trying to bribe him, but she's obviously no good at it. But unless the names are written in Cantonese, wouldn't she be able to see who was next on the list? She totally would. And and when she drops that twenty, you know, down on the book and he turns the page over the the cash and then She's fiddling in the pages to get the the cash. I if I was that Major D, I'd be like, "You don't touch my book." Yeah, get out of here, lady. Then again, <laughs> she is very beautiful. Relationships are hard. It's hard to stay together. <laughs> Jerry walks up to the podium to get the money back, and he says, you "See the girl over there with the long hair? Now, what kind of description is that?" Yeah, like, don't all the girls in this scene, I was looking around the, the group, they all have long hair. And Bruce tells him, ah, five, ten minutes. The table that Lorraine Catalano was on has been empty since she left. Yeah, was she at a two-top or a four-top? You know, I couldn't tell. I think it was a two-top, but at the same time, I want to assume they're all four-tops, and he's just really messing with them. Yeah, let, let's stick with that. <laughs> Well, Jerry says that they should eat, get the Chinese food and just eat it in the cab. I don't see any way we can eat and make this movie. Oh, well, I have to eat. Well, let's just order it to go. We'll eat it in the cab. Eat it in the cab? Chinese food in a cab? We'll eat it in the movie. Well, where do you think you're going? Do you think that they have big picnic tables there? <laughs> well, what do you suggest? I say we leave now, we go to Sky Burger, and we scarf them down. I'm not going to Sky Burger. Besides, it's in the opposite direction. Let's just eat popcorn or something. Cartwright? I can't have popcorn for dinner. Cartwright! We have to eat. Well, they have hot dogs there. Oh, movie hot dogs. I'd rather lick the food off the floor. I can't go anyway. I have to wait here for Tatiana's call. Let me just check. Excuse me, I'm expecting a call. Costanza? Yes, I just got a call. Uh, I yell, Cartwright! Cartwright! Just like that. Nobody came up, I hang up. Well, was it for Costanza or? Yes, yes, that's it. Nobody answered. <laughs> was it a woman? Yes, yes. I tell her, you're not here. She said curse word, I hang up. <laughs> she called. He yelled Cartwright. I missed her. Who's Cartwright? I'm Cartwright. You're not Cartwright. Of course I'm not Cartwright! <laughs> Look, why don't you two just go to the movies by yourself? I'm not in the mood. Well, me either. I'm going to Skyburger. <laughs> so you're not going? You don't need us. Well, I can't go to a bad movie by myself. What, am I going to make sarcastic remarks to strangers? <laughs> I guess I'll just go to my uncle's. Should we tell him we're leaving? Uh, what for? Let's just get out of here. Seinfeld, ball! <laughs> and then he mentions bringing it into the movie theater. How the hell would they get it into the movie theater? They can't just shove it down their pants like a cafe latte. 
Yeah, and then the fact that Elaine brings up a great point, she's like, how are we going to eat it in the movie? There's not like a bunch of picnic tables around. And her purse isn't big enough to bring it in there either. And then Elaine's like, we should just get Sky Burger and scarf him down. Wasn't she still a vegetarian? She eats fish sometimes. Yeah, I don't know. It's definitely skewing some lines here. Shame on me for not doing the research, but is Sky Burger a real thing? It sounds like it's fake. Yeah, it totally sounds fake. But I like again, the name, though. Yeah. Elaine says she can't have popcorn for dinner, and she'd rather lick the floor than eat a movie theater hot dog. Have you ever had a movie theater hot dog? Yeah, they're not so bad. I don't think I've ever had one. I'm not against it. No, back when I was younger, we used to go to the movies all the time, me and my buddies, and we ate everything at the movie theater that they had. You know, we actually had a friend who worked there and he used to give us free stuff. So I've, I've had nachos there and movie theater hot dogs and all that stuff. I was just going to say, when I was younger, I was a big movie theater nacho guy. Meanwhile, Bruce starts calling out Cartwright. George walks up to the podium and asks if anyone called. And him and Bruce have a discussion, and afterwards, Bruce says, she said curse word, and I hang up. It's an awkward cut at that point. It's so good, though, of <laughs> this whole interaction of, did you say Costanza or Cartwright? Yes, yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and then just the utter befuddlement on George's face as he's just like, what did I just hear? Or what were we just talking about? Like, where am I? Yeah, he's, he walks over and he says, well, did she call? Yes, she she called. I missed the call. He said, Cartwright. Who's Cartwright? I'm Cartwright. You're not Cartwright. Of course I'm not Cartwright. You know, the funny thing is I noticed that a few times during this episode, we watch a server walk out of the kitchen, which is located right in the lobby. Yeah. Seems like an odd place to have a kitchen, almost counterproductive in a way. Yeah, a lot more maneuvering needed to be done. Well, they finally decide to leave, and they make another faux pas by not telling the person that they're leaving. Yeah, at this point, they're just fed up with it. I don't know, that always reminds me of that Mitch Hedberg joke about the Dufresne party. He was in this restaurant one time, and people kept calling out, Dufresne, party of two, Dufresne, party of two. And nobody came up to the thing. And then they eventually just went, Jacob's party of two or whatever. And I was worried about the Dufresne's. Whatever happened to the Dufresne's? <laughs> nobody ever looked into it. Something like that. That's good. So now on his birthday, you call a restaurant and make a res reservation for Dufresne party of two. <laughs> oh, I like that. I'll definitely stand by my point that he waited for them to leave and then called their name because of the whole four in the party thing. Yeah, absolutely. You know it. It just goes to your theory. He was just messing with him the whole time. Well, well, we do see that Ian sat in the same spot this whole entire episode. Yeah, he's almost like just a casual bouncer for a restaurant. I was wondering if he was waiting for a table, too. I mean, he seemed pretty patient. Maybe he was waiting for takeout. Maybe. Oh, it took forever, Bye. though. <laughs> Bye, Ian. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> well, the third scene is stand-up. Hunger and cannibalism. Hunger will make people do amazing things. I mean, the proof of that is cannibalism. Cannibalism, what, what do they say? I mean, they're, they're eating, you know, this is good. Who is this? 
I like this person. You know, I mean, I would think the hardest thing about being a cannibal is trying to get some really deep sleep. You know what I mean? I would think you'd be like, what is, who is that? Who's there? Who's there? Somebody there? What do you want? What do you want? You look hungry. Are you hungry? Get out of here. This is really funny, and <laughs> I don't know. This is another, we'll just file it away with the Bermuda Triangle stuff. You don't hear much about cannibalism these days. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, I I would think so. And I had totally forgotten about this, the ending part of this stand-up, and I really like it about the toughest part about being a cannibal is getting some deep sleep. Who is that? Who's there? You hungry? <laughs> Get out of here. It's just I, like... I see you. <laughs> Even though Jerry's not being true physical comedy like we've talked about in other episodes, he just he does a really good job of painting a scene and that you can visualize exactly just with his mannerisms and his tone of voice and stuff. And I just love that of who's there. It was really good. Who is this? Dark Seinfeld. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is definitely a classic episode of Seinfeld. Everybody knows this one. Like anybody you talk to is going to know this episode before anything else besides the double dipper, maybe. But what do you think of this one? I love this episode. It's it's one of my favorites. I've never really gone through the exercise. I I can't believe I'm saying this of like ranking my top episodes. Maybe that's something that we could have a a mini episode on or, you know, eventually down the line. But it's got to be in the top 20, probably, I would have to say, if I just off the off the top of my head. Yeah, I think that a mini episode of rankings wouldn't be a bad thing after every season. Yeah, that'd be that'd be really good. But uh, all in all, I love this episode. There's so many, you know, memorable parts. There's lots of great quotes. I think it's really cool how they they stayed in the same, you know, scene the whole time. It's just it's always going to be one of my favorites. And it's kind of a polarizing topic with some fans. Some some really like it and some don't like care for it. I don't think there's any hate around it, but it's it's interesting how people view this one. Yeah, I like that they all have good storylines. I do wonder what Kramer's doing in this episode, though. I don't like that he's not there. I think that they could have fit him in some, even if he just stood in the background, was hitting on women, being like rejected, like, oh, turning around, constantly being rejected, something, you know. Or like if he like meandered around the restaurant and just had some food off of everybody's table, like he just enamored himself with the the parties and like became their instant friends. Yeah, I don't know. Underutilized. Or if when Tatiana bailed, they gave Crane a quick call and he he came and was their fourth. That would have been good. He just walks in the walks in the restaurant and nobody's there. You know, like, where'd you guys go? Yeah. No, but overall, yeah, I, I do like it a lot. And I think the dialogue is really well written. Maybe a little Kevin Smithy at some parts. That's a great point. Well, I guess that's another one for the hopper. Until next time, I'm John. And I'm Adam. And here's to feeling good all the time. Ruining Seinfeld is not endorsed by Castle Rock Entertainment, Sony Pictures, or NBC. It is meant for educational and entertainment purposes only. 
All names, music, logos, and pretty much everything else belong to the aforementioned companies. If you think you can help us ruin Seinfeld, call us at 5-Seinfeld-6. Be sure to give us the episode title and a brief description. Follow us on social media at Ruining Seinfeld. And if you like what you hear, please give us a five-star review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your platform of choice. Or not. The ball is in your court. Thanks for listening. Double goodbye. Pure Guano.